This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody off. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe! From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall, the teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars, and that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slant Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast being brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. So, wanted to thank them as as we always do every week for keeping our lights on. With me now, not quite a neighbor, but living in relatively the same neighborhood. My buddy, my pal, my co-host, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? Doing well. I wouldn't say we're neighbors, but like a five-minute walk. So, yeah, it's, post, I mean, in a big city like Philadelphia, we're we're pretty damn close at this point. Yeah, post-quarantine neighborly friends for sure. I'll uh I'll throw you a beer out the window if I ever see it. Yes. How about that? Yeah. Uh, on a more relevant note to the podcast, there's actually a, a rare week where we had a lot of news that came out that's worth us talking about. That's been you know discussed by Seamus and I elsewhere in different forms, but certainly not in podcast form. So I guess the the first place we got to start is. Uh, the league unveiling the schedule for not just the Sixers, but the whole NBA. I believe it was last Friday night, I want to say. We're recording this on Wednesday, July 1st. And I think the snap reaction from most people, uh, I don't know if you share this, Seamus, was that you know this is a pretty favorable schedule for the Sixers, all things considered. There are no games that are quote-unquote gimmies that's not the sort of teams that they brought or are bringing to Orlando they're just not the Sixers to begin with yeah yeah but as far as matchups could have gone they could have done a lot worse and I I don't read too much into strength of schedule stuff after a three-month layoff but I think it's pretty good for them yeah I think it's easy up front which is obviously preferable for a team that basically hasn't played in what it'll be you know four months or so it's essentially an an entire offseason it's like going from end of the playoffs at the start of the season almost uh but i think we get a little into predictions but i think they win the first five games and then drop the last three so i think they get on a nice run and then the schedule gets a little harder in the back the suns are a team they've struggled with they kind of always seem to lose them against them devin booker goes off uh they're in a back again back to back against toronto that feels like a loss and then you know harden and westbrook just cook them in the the end of the uh restarted regular season 
So I agree with you on one of the losses. I think the Suns game is a mortal lock. I think that they're absolutely losing that game. And I don't even think it matters if Devin Booker plays. <laughs> like if Devin Booker plays, I think he drops 40 plus and the Suns win. If Devin Booker doesn't play, the Sixers are going to rest for the Raptors game and they'll lose to some scrub bench Suns team. I, I just think they're going to lose that one. Um, I, I do think they win the Raptors game. and I So I wrote a whole article on this restart schedule. They always win one toward the end of the year against a team that like has their number. They struggle in the season series. It used to be Boston. Now I guess that mantle's been passed to the Raptors. This feels like that one where, you know, it gives them the fan base high hopes heading into the playoffs. Oh, Joel's finally solved the the Marcus Soul puzzle. And then they get matched up with Toronto in round two. And Marcus Soul <laughs> sends Embiid into fucking prison for six games or whatever it is. So that's just I, I, that's how I see that playing out. Um, I'm less sure about the Rockets game because I think that can go two ways. I think either James Harden is going to show up to Orlando and have absolutely nothing to do because he's a strip club fiend <laughs> and he's going to be so focused on basketball that he just obliterates everyone. Or James Harden is going to sneak out of Orlando and try to find entertainment that isn't Disney themed. And he'll either be quarantined or he'll be so bored that it seeps into his play and the Sixers get an easy win. I, I don't know which way it's going to go yet, but I I generally think they'll probably settle in around five and three, maybe six and two, depending on what the uh, gentleman's club scene in Orlando is like. Yeah, I think five and three you have to be happy with. With a winning record here, given the way it was a tumultuous season, the way that the team didn't really mesh, there was chemistry issues. Obviously, Brett Brown mentioned a few times that the team has played you know, what, 19 games? Is that what the number is with their, you know, regular lineup, quote-unquote, to speak? So if they come out 5-3, yeah. and three, I'm pretty happy with that as a Sixers fan. 6-2, six and two, and, you know, I'm maybe talking myself into second-round win. Yeah, and I think the thing for everybody to keep in mind, and I include myself and other journalists in this, is like, you know, everyone's writing and talking about Oh, well, you know, this is a like the Pacers game, for example, that they open up with. People look at that and say, oh, well, that's, you know, there are two teams jostling for seeding. But like what is seed? As long as you're in the playoffs, seeding doesn't mean a lot unless you're at the far end of the spectrum, like one or eight, two and seven, that sort of deal. If you're in that three through six range, unless you're specifically jockeying for uh, a matchup with a team who you think is better like just winning all these games isn't necessarily good depending on where it puts you depending on where you think your best path to the finals is because there is no home court advantage these guys are all playing on neutral courts they're all staying in the same hotels there's no rest advantage there's no this there's no that so we have to recalibrate a little bit and i know i mentioned the strength of schedule component of this I think people are reading far too much into that. Like they look at these teams on paper and yeah, I get it. Like you look at stylistically and, and their body of work over the course of a season. But it's, I don't want to say it's as useless as preseason predictions, 
but it's not that far off. Like you, you see every off season, people think the Utah Jazz are going to be like the number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, this might be the every, Jazz's year. <laughs> every basketball blogger thinks it's all oh, this is the year of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. They're going to make the leap, and now they finally have Mike Conley. As if Mike Conley has ever been like the the guy to push a title team over the top. Uh, and you see what happens every year is like, no, that's not what happened. And it's really hard to make predictions when teams are out of sight, out of mind for three months at a time and then training camp and injuries and, and what have you. The difference here is that rosters haven't changed much between now and mid-March. So it is a little bit easier. But by the same token, we don't know who's coming back in shape. Like some of these guys might show up looking like Sean Kemp after the – the 99 lockout where he's like 300 plus pounds and and slamming the bottle a little bit um not to make light of anyone with substance abuse issues but like (laughs) you piece of shit no i'm just saying you never know what's going to happen like you would like to think in a perfect world that professional athletes despite the limitations that have been put on them for the last few months are taking their craft seriously or trying to remain ready for this moment. I know that the uh, the several-week training camp is going to help matters in that way. Like, guys don't have an excuse to show up looking completely grotesque to the Orlando games. But when all when all said and done, we really don't know much at all about how these teams will look because none of us have ever lived through this in, our, in most of our lifetimes. And, you know, it's... It's a unique situation for everybody, including the players. Yeah, I do like... So how long is training camp going to be? Three weeks? I believe it's about three weeks. Okay. Uh, can we get into Brett saying... You, you spoke with it. We're recording this on Wednesday late afternoon for listeners who are probably listening to this on Thursday. So there was some kind of uh, Zoom-type press conference with Coach Brett Brown today, right, Kyle? Yes. And he said, and Beat has been in the best shape uh, he's he's in currently since he's been part of the organization. Am I correct in saying that's that's what Brett said? Yeah, and I feel like this is a thing that Brett says every training camp. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know he it's, likes to lavish this praise on Joel. And I'm not saying that you can you can have your take on this, Seamus. I don't want to be ultra dismissive because you know <laughs> I have not seen Joel has been out of sight, out of mind for so long that. I have no idea what he's been up to. It's not like he's been active on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere else that would give us a a window into his life. But, you know, it is a thing that we've heard before. So I, I'm sort of in that middle ground between I'm not going to run with it and assume that Joel is just ready to hit the ground running, but I'm not going to assume that he is, to invoke his name once again, post-lockout Sean Kemp. I've I've heard Furcon looks like 2016 Sheamus. Uh, t- does not look like in the best of shape. My friend uh, shares and is in the same apartment complex as him. And I already oh, thought I already thought wow, that apartment complex scoop from Sheamus. Also, you could just tell by his Instagram post. I thought about like three weeks ago. I was like, damn, he's putting on that quarantine weight too. Like respect. Like I, it makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> well, the camera does add. Uh... He's posting. He's posting dead. selfies. He's got. If that's how many selfies do you take that suck, and then you're like, finally, I got a good one. I'll post that. Like, what, what picture did he did he not put post? Is my question. <laughs> well, so to to 
piggyback off of Seamus's point, well, I'll just read the quote that that Brett gave today. I'll jump around a little bit because you know Brett was meandering a bit. We haven't talked in a while, so he had to get uh, all his thoughts out at once. So here's the, the start of the quote. Quote. Let's start with the respect and applause I give him for putting in time. There's nobody on our team that's put in more time than Joel Embiid. Forget what he's actually done in the gym for a minute. Just go to the man hours and consecutive days and the amount of days he has put in over the past few months. I'm proud of him. I respect him. He needed to do it. So that last part is really at the bottom line. Yes, he needed to do it. And... As much as you want to give him credit for working hard during the these unprecedented times, there is a layer of, you know, it'd be nice if we didn't have to have this concern with Joel coming out of this layoff that maybe he'd be a little out of shape like everybody probably would with limited access to gyms for so long. But it, it's a bummer that a guy who is as talented as he is and who at one point and still does to a degree – who worked so hard to become the player he is. Like, he didn't just wake up one day and he was an elite basketball player. That took a lot of man hours while he was out of sight, out of mind. But I I wish this wasn't a thing that even had to be asked and that we could just expect him to be ready for this playoff scenario or restart scenario, I should say, and be ready to go from the moment it starts. that, That part's a bit of a bummer. When you say you wish it didn't have to be a point of discussion, is that an indictment of the fans who are always uh, critical of Embiid's endurance and you know physical health and shape or an indictment on Embiid himself? No, I think it's more on Joel. Like, I don't think... You're just making sure. I, I, I think there have been times when fans have tried to ascribe issues that they've had with matchups or maybe with... Uh, schematic issues that they tried to pin on conditioning that weren't there. But look, there have been games and stretches of this season and really at the beginning of every season that he's played outside of his rookie year, he's always been a bit of a, a slow starter. A lot of that comes down to conditioning and approach. Like he, he hasn't been ready at times. Like part of their struggles on the road this season you can attribute to Joel just not having it on a given night and the mental focus being there. And we often talk about the the physical side of this, but the mental side of the game matters too. Like Joel can't come, like even if he's in great physical shape, if he's not mentally prepared for this setting they're going to be in, this this fanless environment where, you know, not only can he not play off the home crowd, he also can't play off the hecklers and the trash talkers at a, a road arena. And so that's something that I'm curious to see. He's a very competitive guy at times. It, it might not be as relentless as it is or as people would like it to be. So, you know, I, I think this is a good test for Joel in a lot of different ways. Number one, does he show up physically ready to go? Number two, is he mentally ready to go? Both of those things are, are equally important in such a uh, an unprecedented time. Yeah, I know this has been talked about a lot and, and in a joking way too, how obviously the Sixers have a gigantic disparity in their home and away loss record. Uh, they definitely play better at home. I think, as you kind of alluded to with Joe, he feeds off that fan energy. You know, as someone who was a 
as of now, I guess, is a former season ticket holder who loves going to games, is very into the game. You know, fan. I know it's stereotypical in a way, but fans get friggin' amped for Sixers games, especially since the team's been good the last handful of years. And that definitely has an effect on performance. And Joe loves it. The players love it. It really, it truly helps them. And it's, you know, the facts are there in the record over the last couple of years. So I wonder if, how much of that can carry over into a neutral setting? I guess it's di- like, is it worse for them than being in an away game? Just because, is it going to be an adjustment for players to kind of play in a pickup game setting for a real game? It feels like, you know, a scrimmage almost. Oh, it's a massive adjustment. And the way I... Do you think the first couple of games are going to be trash, regardless of team? It might be. It, like, I think it's hard to say. Here's how I would describe this to someone. And, and you don't even have to be a sports fan to understand this. Like our lives essentially are built around routines. We all have different routines, whether that's what we eat in the morning, what time we wake up, how we go about, you know, getting ready for work and starting our day. But we all have these things that are our methods of coping and and getting through a day. So like Seamus, are you a coffee drinker? Yeah, I've had three cups of coffee today because I've been sleep. I haven't slept the last two days. Right. So that drinking coffee is one of your methods of staying within a routine. That doesn't mean you need to, you don't necessarily have coffee at the same exact time every day, but it's part of how you get through a day. Imagine if tomorrow you just like coffee just vanished and you had to get through the day and there wasn't a replacement for that. Like you couldn't use caffeine from something else. Like that is essentially what we're talking about here with the players and the lack of fans in Orlando. Like all athletes have different things that they go through before games. I think Ray Allen was a guy who was notorious for having this really laborious pregame routine. There are guys that, you know, they want to listen to certain types of music. Some of them want to be really amped up. Some of them use calmer music to, you know, to mellow out a little bit before games. Everybody has their way of preparing to do their job or just preparing to go about their day. And this is a major disruption to going about their business. These guys have not played in an environment like this with real stakes in, I couldn't even tell you how long. Most of them haven't since at least high school. And even in high school- They're all in the AAU circuit and stuff. They were, they were, they're all big players. It hasn't been since they were, you know, on their- whatever the equivalent of a CYO squad is. <laughs> right. So like, I mean, obviously there are the pickup games that happen in summers and in, in private gyms where there, are, but there are no stakes there. Those guys have a freedom to, you know, just fail and, and, and mess around and experiment and try to improve in a way that is dissimilar from what we're going to see down in Orlando. So I think it would be really naive to discount that factor, not just for Joel, but for the entire league. Certainly. So on that note, we're going to take a quick ad break, and then we'll be back to talk about some other stuff going on with the Sixers right now. So once again, I'm here to tell you about our friends at Bet Online, where there's no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC sims all day, every day, live on their website. 
Thankfully soon, they will not be simulations. You'll be able to bet on NBA games, hopefully. So that'll be, you know, that's a little extra spice in your life on top of sports coming back. If you're looking for something other than sports, Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out too. So visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. So one of the other big points of discussion on the Brett Brown phone call today. Uh, I guess there was several different questions ultimately amounting to what's the rotation going to look like when they're in Orlando? When do you want to have that figured out? And, you know, I I think the two big swing factors right now are are number one, what are they going to do without Horford? And number two, how prominent of a role should Shake Milton have? And I know that a lot of people, and this might include you, Seamus, are just happy to, you know, kick Al's ass to the curb and Shake should play a ton of minutes. But, and, and, and I do think Brett is counting on Shake to play a more significant role than maybe he asks of a lot of young guys heading into a playoff scenario. But he doesn't sound ready to write Al Horford off and he did dance around a question today of what Al's role would be and how they would figure that out with the the lineup concerns they would have and so I guess Seamus what do you think an acceptable role for Horford looks like once this gets going again well there are 48 minutes a game say Joe plays 33 15 minutes a night without Joe on the court I'd start shake just for the, I think he's an X factor for them. Uh, you know, he has flashed this year. Uh, he has what they lack in terms of possible dribble penetration and a guy who can literally just, you know, run the point. Uh, to dis- I, we obviously joke about Al all the time. I tweet about him on here and whatnot, but he has to give you something. You know, I mean, it's not like I would just bench him completely. Uh, he's your yeah. best option, clearly, when Joel isn't on the court. And as we saw last year and the playoffs where. You know, the team absolutely completely fell apart in the Toronto series whenever Joe wasn't on the court. Uh, you give Greg fucking Monroe minutes. And if, if it wasn't, if they just had some sort of stability there at the backup big man position, uh, you know, they would have went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. So to me, I think Al can give you 15 minutes a night. And if he can't do that, the Sixers are in even more trouble than I think they I already think they are long term. Yeah, I just don't think that it's going to be like he's going to play more than 15 minutes. And it's a matter of how do they make that work? And that's, I guess, the million dollar question with this team. So, like, here's the thing, Seamus, and I I wrote about this a little bit today. It's very easy to say outside looking in, you know, Horford has sucked. He's not good in the role they wanted him to play at least one of the roles they wanted him to play. He's fine as that backup center and uh, running that second unit with Ben Simmons and no Joel. He's he's okay there. But the, you can't just totally bench him right now for a bunch of different reasons. Number one, it's not going to go over well with Al. That creates a potential issue 
in the locker room. Like I, I know everyone talks about how great of a locker room guy he is and blah, blah, blah. But anyone yeah. who goes from being a starter his entire time in the league to basically a 15-minute-a-game guy when it matters in the playoffs is going to be upset. And, you know, the money matters there and all that good stuff. I also just don't know, like, he's one of their best players. It's just a matter of figuring out a way to get that version of Horford. Maybe it is that 15 minutes, but they're going to try to get him on the floor with Joel. That's probably going to have to come in combinations that it's just Joel and no Ben. It's just Ben and no Joel and Al is out there. Because I think if you dig deeper into the numbers, the the two-man combinations are not necessarily bad. And I do think that the emergence of someone like Shake gives you some more options in terms of the, the lineups you can put around those two. Like you could play a lineup where it's it's Shake Milton, it's Josh Richardson, and, and maybe a bench wing, or even maybe Tobias Harris next to Horford and Embiid. And, and maybe that gives you the spacing, the ball handling equity, that you can do something with that and you can still make the most of, of what they have on defense. And I think it is going to matter defensively how they match up with other teams too. Like we saw in that Christmas Day game against Milwaukee, that was one of Horford's better performances of the year from a defensive standpoint. And he was a big part of, you know, Joel did the bulk of the lifting against Giannis Antetokounmpo, but Horford was huge in the the opportunities he had against him as well. So it basically comes down to this. Do you believe that Horford, after this three-month layoff, or three-and-a-half-month layoff, I think it'll be by the time, or four-and-a-half months, maybe? It's I don't Time has no meaning to me at this point. It's It's been forever. If Horford has his legs back after all this, if you know he's been able to rest up enough that he's got a little more juice in his legs and he feels more like he does at the beginning of a season... That's a potential difference maker for his effectiveness in these teams. And honestly, a big part of it, too, is he's just got to hit shots. He shot like shit for a lot of this year. He missed a lot of shots that Sheamus, I think you and I are both accustomed to seeing him make against the Sixers. So I don't think he's just going to disappear. He's not going to just be a backup. It's just a matter of. You know, how do they find minutes for him? And is he going to end up being in those crunch time situations? That, I think, is the biggest question of all. Well, it can go either of two ways, the ways the way you can look at it in the sense that, oh, he could come back and he's fresh because he hasn't played for four months, or he could come back rusty because he's aging and older and probably a little bit sure. more injury prone. And, you know, by the time he's ready to play basketball, it's all over. Yeah, I just think that the way he came out at the beginning of the year, while he was not a clean fit, we did see more of the like Boston version of sure. Al Horford. Like there was the the early suspension for Joel. There was a I can't, can't remember what game it was. Was it against uh, I want to say Phoenix? Horford might have had a yeah. A he had a he had an unbelievable or, Phoenix game. Yes. Yeah. So like there were flashes early. And I, I do think that maybe some some midseason malaise and, and maybe some, I don't want to call them injuries, but like nicks and bruises start to accumulate, especially as you get older. And that stuff would have cleared up over time. I don't think he had any kind of 
issue that needed surgery or was that serious but you're definitely right Seamus it could go either way and ultimately we're not going to know until they lace them up and, and go out there but I just would all I'm saying is I want to caution people against thinking you know they're going to come back and he's only going to be a 15 minute per game guy I just I don't think that that's a realistic expectation as much as a lot of fans would like to see that happen so what do you think is realistic is 20 minutes per game like five with joe and different spurts and 15 without joe does that sound reasonable i think he's gonna play more like 25 like playing do you think he'll start like a heavy bench roll or like a fringe starter type minutes where yeah he plays those 15 embedless minutes and then he's also going to be used in a variety of ways other than that. I, I don't think that they are ready to – and Brown actually talked about this on the call today. He was asked almost straight up, like, do you look back on the team construction and have, uh, you know, regrets or, or second thoughts about how it was put together? And, and Brown still believes that this is a group that's going to be better when the game slows down and it's in the playoffs. So – you know, maybe it's not the typical playoff basketball this year, and and that isn't true. Or maybe it is, and they somehow find a way to to get this to work, and that vision of bully ball actually comes together. It, it's hard for me to sit here and say, but I I do think that they're going to give it a real chance to to work in a postseason setting. Well, I think it can be a little bit matchup dependent too. Uh, you know. If For sure. somehow, some way, they, they ended up playing Milwaukee in the second round, I'm not, I'm not super confident that they're going to win their first round series, so kind of leave it at that. But we saw how effective Al and that tandem of Joe can be uh, against their front court. So that's a situation where, you know, this gigantic, what, $108 million investment uh, actually comes to fruition for the, you know, for all the ups and downs of this entire season, for all the you know tumultuous times we've been through, and the entire discourse surrounding Horford's tenure just one season into his contract, if they end up playing Milwaukee and he plays well, that was the whole reason they signed him. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Look, there's not an elegant solution here. Either you have to risk pissing off the guy, and, by the way, tanking whatever trade value he has left prior to a summer or not a summer prior to an off season where you might want to move on from him. If there are any takers, I, I can't imagine there'd be a lot of people lining up for that, but you know, that's another factor that they have to consider. I don't know what they're going to do. I, Brett was uh, pretty coy about their plans and you know, that's, that's certainly the right way to go about it for now. They're going to see how everybody looks in, and training camp, and then go from there. So uh, that's a lot of words to say. Who I'm knows? shrugging my shoulders. <laughs> um, I guess the another thing that came up today, Seamus, I, I think you probably got more into this than I did because I was busy with the the Brett Brown call and the, the work adjacent to that was there was a an anonymous coaches poll conducted by – uh, the athletic do you know was there a specific writer that did it or was it like a staff poll that they put together up. it's from coaches yeah well i just meant oh like, like did john one it's, reporter it's, put it together yeah it's that john whatever the timberwolves reporter like krasitsky 
Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Josh Robbins, who I don't know who that is. He is the president of the Basketball Writers Association, and he covers the magic for the Ooh, Athletic. I'm the president. <laughs> okay, so uh, the gist of it is, for those who haven't read it, 22 out of 30 coaches were polled, and they were asked to build their all-defensive team. So, Seamus, do you want to run through who was named by the coaches to each team? Sure. So on the first team, we have Rudy Gobert center, uh, the guard spots, uh, Marcus Smart, and our own Ben Simmons, who received 15 first place votes and four second team votes, uh, as well as Giannis and Kawhi Leonard. They were the first team. And then for the second team, we have Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo, PJ Tucker, Eric Bledsoe, and Patrick Beverly. Uh, two other Sixers received votes. Josh Richardson received one second team vote as a guard. And kind of surprisingly, Joel Embiid only received three second place votes, which placed him fourth uh, overall among centers. Obviously, Gobert was first. Anthony Davis was second. And then Milwaukee's Brooke Lopez actually finished in third with two first place votes and nine second team votes. So what is your snap reaction to, to all of that? I think it's pretty spot on. Obviously, I have an Embiid bias where I think he's minimum second team to me. Honestly, I would put I would put Brooke first and Embiid second. I don't know. I honestly think like, and I may I'll maybe squeeze the- in AD as a forward and kind of maneuver like that and have Brooke first team and Embiid second, and you know maybe AD on forward second team and kick out BJ Tucker. PJ Tucker. I think the interesting one at least in terms of Embiid and Brooke Lopez, certainly, is Bam Adebayo. It's like, and I really like Bam. I think I like he's him. a very, he's a really versatile defender, but he, like, again, he is limited in certain ways by his size. Like, he, he can't deal with the Embiid type guys. Like, Embiid can just go through him, essentially. And, and other, you know, big, strong center types I, I guess there are fewer of those than there have ever been but that's a limitation of his he is generally healthier plays more games than Embiid I know that coaches uh, always put that at a premium certain voters certainly do too I think Brooke Lopez is the guy who probably got the shaft here I, I, I think the yeah, problem I with agree. Embiid the problem with Embiid is that there have just been too many stretches this year where even within games where he ends up with a good stat line at the end, he's just kind of moseying about and coasting. And we haven't seen the the all-world defense that I, I think we've seen from him in the past. And yet, like, the, the crazy part about it is if you look at his impact numbers compared to someone like Ben Simmons, who I think rightfully is getting credit for uh, playing, like, a, a first-team all-defense at the very least, the second team all defense caliber season, the metrics say Embiid is a way more impactful player than Ben Simmons. And some of that is playing a Center. more important defensive position. Some of that is that Simmons switches through so many matchups and positions that I think that makes it hard to to track pure impact. I, I think catch-all statistics for defense or just in general are mostly bad, but especially for defense where, you know, the, they don't really 
track how how good guys are in any meaningful way. Sure, but it, it's hard it's hard to reckon with. Like, yes, Joel has looked bad, and I think has straight up been bad at times this year. And yet, when he is on the floor, the Sixers still play like an elite defense at basically all times. And no matter who is playing next to him, that is the thing that is always mind-boggling to me. It's not that they are a good defense at any time with or with good lineups on the floor. It's that they can put guys on the floor like Furkan Korkmaz. Howell Neto and, and you know maybe you and I Seamus and yeah. they'd still probably have like a 100 defensive rating yeah so it's tough if, you know and B kind of has more ups and downs whereas I think Lopez had a consistently great season and again I agree with you he's the guy that got the shaft I said he would be my first team uh, all defense selection at center and I think we kind of I like Bam's game, but I think his defense right now is more theoretical than working in actuality. It reminds me kind of of early career Anthony Davis, where I think AD was actually pretty overrated as a defender, especially in terms of the actual metrics. Uh, we survived more in reputation. Obviously, this year he's been a monster on defense, and he's certainly gotten better in that respect. But I think uh, you know around the league, Bam is one of those buzzy, NBA Twitter loving players where we might be overstating his defense a little too soon. So I agree with you there. Yeah, I, I think we're probably on the same page there. I also would say, like, I don't want to go too hard for Brooke Lopez. Like, I he has been very I'm not good, dying on the Brook Lopez the, hill. I think str- the structure there is really good. Like, favorable, I think, favorable situation. I think Giannis let's could let's Giannis. You know what I mean? I think Giannis could legitimately win Defensive Player of the Year. Like I don't think he will because generally guys that are in consideration for MVP don't get factored in there. But Giannis is like what makes that defense go. And then you also have guys like Bledsoe, who's a good defender. Middleton's a good defender. Like there are not many weak links there. So you know, Brook Lopez plays his role as well as he could possibly do it. But I think like the the reason that Embiid always stands out to me defensively is that you could just plop him into whatever situation, and I think he'd make an impact. And there are not many guys like that around the league. So, you know, I, I understand where the coaches are coming from this season because of the year he's had, but I, I don't want to mix that up with saying that he is not one of the league's best defenders because as as the uh, awards voting has shown in years past and as we see on a a nightly basis when games are being played he is he's up there with the best of the best when he's on his game yeah i mean if mb was out there with Giannis and eric bledsoe and chris middleton i'm sure his numbers would have him being the clear cut best right. center in the league defensively speaking yeah and you know it's funny the Sixers always get crushed because, or not, I shouldn't say the Sixers. Sam Hankey always gets crushed for not drafting Giannis. And, you know, it's like, oh, the Sixers could have had potentially Giannis and Embiid if things had shaken out that way. Well, the Bucks had that same chance. They took fucking Jabari Parker over Embiid. And nobody hardly ever talks about that. It's like, they were sitting right there for them. They they had it too. That was like a much more obvious scenario after already having Giannis. Like Embiid had been fucking awesome in college and killed everybody in workouts. But, you know. They built the right way. 
Yeah, it's everybody has always got their agenda when it comes to that stuff. Um, one more thing that we have to get to before we wrap the podcast up. Uh, another thing that I wrote about last night, but I'm still trying to get more information on. There was a a former member of the Sixers dance team. I'm trying to make sure I get this all right. So her story, I believe, or at least this is the first I saw it, was first circulated by R&B singer Trey Songs yesterday. And the upshot of it was that when she was with the team, which I believe was somewhere between like 2012 or 13 through about 2015, she experienced bullying from other members of the team she said she was targeted as a result of she's a black woman and was targeted as a result of her race and her what she says is her quote features and she also or trey songs but she also shared a video of a former dance team captain same as annie weiss Sending a very mean-spirited and at times, I don't even know. How to, I, I guess it's, she brings up like West Philly slums and so a lot of like coded racism and and that on top of a lot of profanity and cursing at this girl. And there's not really a lot of context other than that. I think the thing that set up or set off Sixers Twitter yesterday and correct me if I'm wrong here, Seamus, is that attached to all this was an email from Laura Price, who is the COO of the Sixers, where she had been alerted to this by Yane Coleman, who's the woman making the allegations. And effectively, what she said was that it was a holiday weekend, I believe it was Labor Day at the time, and that they would address it afterward. Uh, and so that, I guess, is the big sticking point. I don't know if you have anything that you wanted to weigh in on, Seamus. I have things that I am trying to work on, report on, that I can't necessarily say too much about all this. But sure, certainly and I it's can. Like, it's a disappointing situation to see happen within the organization, period. And you, especially now with um, everything that's been going on with the protests and you know, reckoning with racism on a broader level. It's something that the the public wants to see addressed very quickly. Uh, that, vi- that VP has been with the team for decades. It's not like they just came in during the Josh Harris ever. So I do right. want to preface that. But I think that points to how, you know, they have systematic issues of dysfunction running throughout this entire organization they have for decades. And it's only been amped up even more, amplified so, during the Josh Harris situation, I think, you know, this has to be investigated by the team. It should honestly be investigated by and by the league. I know it might not seem to the extent of what happened with the Dallas Mavericks uh, and that entire sexual assault scandal. Obviously, you know, nothing really of consequence happened to Mark Cuban. And, you know, I doubt anything will happen to Josh Harris. But it's just another, uh, you know, aggression on top of everything else that's happened during his tenure that, you know, I don't want this man associated with my favorite basketball team. I think, again, I'm not just trying to be hyperbolic and say, oh, yeah, fuck Josh Harris, sell the team. But, and again, there are still some aspects of this that aren't known to the public, but just on a surface level, 
I can't say that I'm surprised it happened with this organization. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, so here's what I'll say. I'll try to be as broad as possible as to not say anything that I shouldn't. I, I think the issue on a base level is trying to figure out the timing of everything, whether that's the video. Obviously, we know the date of the email because it was, uh, I believe the timestamp is in the corner of the screenshot that was shared. But so, for example, the woman who was in the video that was posted, I believe she was off of the dance team as of 2013. And then I believe the video was sent after her time with the dance team was over. And so that then you get into a a conversation of like, well, if the woman is not an employee of the team anymore, and that's when the video is from, then that gets into the, a weird area for the team. Like, how do you go about this? Obviously, you would want them to look out for their employees and especially for uh, a woman of color who's being bullied by a former employee and, and potentially by other women who were still on the dance team with her. But that, I think, as far as I can tell, is the difficulty of all this. I know because I I do know um, people with the dance team present and former that there is a lot of turnover with those girls. Like it's certainly not a job that, you know, you take it and that's just a place that you work for a long time. There are girls in and out every year. They have tryouts every season. And so I think some of this, some of the difficulty in, you know, quote unquote, investigating this and trying to do something about it retroactively is going to be getting people to comply with whatever they're doing because they're no longer involved with the organization. It's, I'll say this, Seamus, I don't think it's surprising. And I don't say that as an indictment necessarily of the Sixers, but of general corporate culture and of the idea that like, you know, Nobody takes complaints seriously at at, at big corporations until it's meant to make a real problem for them. Like as fucked up as it is to say, money is what talks. And and when people think that money is going to start to come into the equation, whether that's pressure from fans on social media, whether that's people threatening litigation and other scenarios, that's when their ears normally start to perk up and and action is taken. So I think we need to, like, obviously, I believe in the general concept of, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but that does not mean that you, you know, rest on your laurels and don't take accusations seriously as they come whether it's bullying whether it's racism whether it's any kind of issue in the workplace people need to be you know more receptive to uh, the complaints they're hearing from their workers and more sympathetic to their plights uh, regardless of of what the issue is and that's about all i got on that one okay for now anyway do we have a uh, do we have a loser of the week? Any nominees? Uh, the one I joked about with you before, but obviously not going to say that on here. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll be the uh, the secret loser of the week. Yeah, I feel you, like we had another one. You have to you have to subscribe to my Patreon to to learn the secret of who actually is the loser of the week. <laughs> 
I feel like we had another one, and now I am forgetting who it was. Uh, let me search my phone for loser of the week, like the text. It's probably in a group chat of ours, or uh, I did God one on damn. Sunday. Well, okay. Jabari Parker this? outplaying tennis maskless, maskless after COVID announcement. <laughs> That's okay, what it was. So here we go. We'll compare Jabari Parker versus the girl who sent that awful video that made the rounds yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two loser of the week candidates. I'm going with Jabari just because his public persona. I think I think Jabari is a big loser in this instance. I'm gonna give the title to Annie Weiss, who I've never met or spoken to, but yeah, that video. Oh, was... I thought you were talking about something else. Then yeah, that then definitely Annie Weiss. No, no, I thought yeah, you were talking no, about I'm... something like a, no. I thought you were talking about like some like Corona like protesting woman. Oh no 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 no! No, oh, okay, I'm so talking you're... about the woman who appeared. Oh yeah, then the, I uh... then I definitely changed my answer to her. Yeah, so I I think and here's what you know beyond the obvious issues with it the the veiled racism the the violence etc cetera, etc cetera. to sit down and like how do you care about a coworker that much that like years after you left that organization that you're sending like fucking harassment videos to this person that is like to care that much about someone that you used to work with that you're in a limo supposedly having fun with your friends years later and you're sending these like awful videos to them what kind of fucking like sorority girl loser do you have to be to pull some shit like that like that's aside from all the the like major issues with it like you got to have some deep-seated issues like i don't want to get into the the psychoanalysis of this but she stinks i never met her but if she ever listens to this i think you stink lady that's my leave a five-star review and then like go fuck off (laughs) On that note, uh, we thank you all for tuning in to another rocking episode of The New Slant. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review, some nice comments, and and certainly continue to wear masks and and stay safe during the pandemic. And Seamus and I will talk to you soon. See you guys and gals and however you identify.